Hello and welcome to the Born Together podcast. I'm Techie Quay and I hope you enjoy tuning into this contemporary archive of stories on the subject of mother and parenthood. I believe in the connective power of this experience, whether it be that someone's story reflects our own or gives us the opportunity to learn and see something new. I hope that this podcast taps into the power of shared stories and that it may become a portable community for you wherever you are, illustrating the many ways we become parents and families, the lives that we live and the journey we make to find ourselves within it all. Thank you for coming on this journey with me and let's jump into the show. Hello, in this week's episode I'm super excited to bring you the motherhood journey of Amy Aroha who opens up about the way in which her first birth, that at the time seemed golden, came to be understood as traumatic through the birth of her son years later. Amy takes us through her journey, coming to understand and begin a healing process, moving beyond decolonization by weaving her own culture through her second birth and having the space to birth fully in her own sovereignty. This would prove to be a massive reclamation of her autonomy and provide healing for generations past and future, finally opening up the chance for her to accept the invitation from maidenhood into womanhood. There's so much here and it's super exciting to be bringing you stories from back home in Oz. Let's jump in and I know you'll get so much from today's episode. Hi Amy, thanks for coming and joining me on the podcast. Hi, I'm so glad we could connect. It's about time. It's about time. Look at us. I don't know. What are we like trans, transcontinental? I don't know. But it's nice even just hearing the Aussie accent again. It makes me feel a bit nostalgic for home. Oh, I'm happy to serve. I'm glad to hear that. It's got its own <laughs> twang, doesn't it? It, oh, it sure does. I probably start sounding more Australian as well. Everyone always thinks I'm English when I do these podcast episodes, but they might hear hear it come out a little bit. But Amy, do you want to introduce yourself for those who are listening? Tell us a bit about yourself and your family. Sure. Uh, my name is Amy Aroha. I am a mother of two. So I have my beautiful wild daughter, Elia Eve. She is turning eight in November. And then there is my son who is 15 months and his name is Zevan Ahi. Um, so we live in the Blue Mountains, New South Wales on a little off-grid property, which we absolutely love. And it's very cold here at the moment. I'm also a transpersonal mentor. So I work with birthing people and women, uh, preconception, pregnancy, postpartum, and also just anyone during life stuff. Uh, hopefully we can talk a little bit more about that later. But um, my yes, baby's yeah, still asleep at the moment. So that's quite bizarre to be up with no children running around me. <laughs> it's one of the things I do love about getting up so early. It really feels like time just for me. But then you have a long day you have to get through. So <laughs> I feel for you. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Um, shall we start, Amy, the birth of your daughter then? Um, how how did you come to be pregnant with her and what was the, that experience like? Oh, um, such a big journey. I was married and we got married pretty young. So Elia's father, he was just visiting. He was kind of moving through Sydney to move up to Brisbane and we met at a bar and then he decided basically that night that he didn't want to leave. And so he ended up moving in with me straight away. And we had a pretty epic relationship for about 10 years. And in the second year, I fell pregnant with Elia. So we'd already been married. I think I was 24 when I got married. And then I was about 25 when I fell pregnant with Elia. And yeah, it was just an absolute whirlwind getting pregnant with Elliot it was literally one time I was like I want to have a baby and then one time <laughs> who knew it only took one time <laughs> it's not until you have kids that you realize it only takes one time <laughs> but you know it was divine timing it was divine timing. so yeah we fell pregnant and this was actually after a miscarriage so she was our rainbow baby which was beautiful and her pregnancy was just so easy at the time. And I think being so young, 
I really attached to this notion of being unaffected by pregnancy and having a child. And so I really clung to that sort of maiden archetype, the girl, you know, I didn't, looking back now where I'm at now, I can see that I didn't accept the invitation to fully evolve and grow and become the woman that, you know, what pregnancy and birth really draw us into. So yeah, I really clung to that sort of girl archetype and the maiden had a beautiful, you know, just cruisy pregnancy with her though, which, which was great. And then we decided to do what 99% of people in this country do and birth. In a <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the standard, isn't it? Yeah, so <laughs> what do. we do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, that's what my mum had done and that's what my grandmother had done and that's what I was the first person actually out of my group of friends at the time who had a child. So everyone was sort of dumbfounded as to what advice to give or how to properly support. What do we do? Exactly. Yeah. And so I went just with the standard care. I did, you know, my pregnancy, my birth preparation class in the hospital. So it was, you know, that medical, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but it's a bit different here in the UK. We've got a different system back um, compared to Australia because in Australia it's more obstetrician-led care, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Is that correct? Here it's more midwifery-led care. Yeah. So I think you guys also have home birth programs, lots of home birth programs. Yeah, we do. We do. We've got a small rate of home births as a, as a country, but yeah, we've got actual programs that are provided through our healthcare system. Whereas in Australia, you have to sort that out independently, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So there are a few home birth programs in a couple of hospitals, but it's by no means the norm or, you know, super easily accessible to everybody. So we have to get private midwives who are very, very few and far between in this country because of the very intense kind of legislation and um, bureaucracy surrounding their existence and the work that they do. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know any of this at the time of the birth of my daughter. I just knew that you have babies in hospital. And (laughs) (laughs) I was committed to having a quote unquote natural birth, which for me was just really having no drugs. And I was the, the sort of concept of having a cesarean never, it just wasn't in my scope. Didn't enter your mind. Totally didn't enter my mind. And I, I really feel like that actually if for me personally, that's really what supports me in having, you know, pretty natural flowing births is that I really have a very clear vision. I always have mm-hmm. and I don't really ha- oh, here's my baby. Sorry, one second. So yeah, I had a pretty solid vision of what uh, was going to happen, which was I was just going to be in and out of the hospital, no dramas, natural birth. And I went into labor um, I woke up at nine o'clock in the morning and I'd lost my plug, my mucus plug. Um, and I was all very excited. I thought, you know, it's happening. It's happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's on. It's happening. <laughs> and I called the midwife at the hospital um, and she was like, oh, darling, you know, it could be days. This is your first baby. <laughs> just chill out, have a bath, you know, do what you need to do. So I did. I just kind of cruised around the suburb that I was living in. I went for a walk. I went to go get candles. I went and visited my partner at the time at work. Um, and he sort of, he was working at a bar and he announced to everybody that Amy's lost her mucus block. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Like, yeah, probably. Unnecessary, but okay. You're excited. And yeah, I labored at home by myself all day until he came home, which was at about 5.30. And looking back, I f- that was pretty badass. Like, and I didn't realise yeah. at the time, you know, but I think. Especially for a first birth. Totally. <laughs> Normally it's like, call everybody, help. Uh, yeah, help, help me, yes, I will. Yeah, I never had that sense of panic or concern. And I, I, I feel like that's probably you know, that's an ancestral thing I feel now having doing the work that mm. I do now and there was really no fear. And so when he came home, he's like, I think I need to take you to the hospital. I was like, I am not going to the hospital. And there was just this primal sense of not wanting to go. So I just kept laboring at home, 
We watched a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> Quality. <laughs> um, and, you know, ate pasta. And then, I, it, I, you know, now I realise that I was, you know, probably about to enter transition and I was like growling and my partner Nigel was said I need to take you like this is I can't do this and I actually ran I can't really remember doing it but I ran upstairs to the bedroom and turned off all the lights and was like on all fours like an animal (laughs) like looking at you know basically like my physiology just took over and I just knew that I didn't want to go to hospital and he ended up found your like nice dark place, like that privacy that you needed. That's amazing. So animalistic. And he ended up coming up to the bedroom and called the midwife and just had her on speaker so that she could hear me. And she said, Oh, she doesn't sound like she's in enough pain to come in. And Nigel said, I know her and I know that she is about to have this baby and I'm gonna bring her in. And so he basically looked at me and said, I can't, like, I'm not delivering this baby here. We need to go to hospital. And so I waddled downstairs and I walked past the mirror and I could actually see my daughter's head, like, behind my pubic bone, like, bulging out. I don't know if you've ever seen wow. that. So it was wow. really intense. But the most intense thing for me was having to get into the car. And yep. having to be in the car. And I remember just sitting in the car and just weeping. I just had tears streaming mm. down my face, like, why, why? Because I didn't, I, you know, this no. It doesn't time. feel right. <laughs> feel right. I was meant to be in my little cave and got to hospital, bloody waddling through the halls, having contraction after contraction. And then they took me into the examination room and said, just by looking at you, you've got a lot longer to go. So we're probably going to be going to send you home. And <laughs> I'm not going home now. No. Like I'm not getting back in the fucking car. Like it's just not yeah. happen. And they said, oh, but we'll check you. And then they checked me and they said, oh, you're like seven or eight centimeters. And can I, I stay now? <laughs> stay now, please. And then I was, so I was in an examination room. I wasn't in a birthing suite. I was fully clothed in my dress that I wore to the hospital. About 20 minutes later, she was there. So it was happened really quickly. So I moved from seven to eight, which, you know, we, so many of us do, and through transition. And I think during transition, I was like, give me the fucking epidural. <laughs> it's too late now sorry yeah and so three pushes and she sort of came into the world and onto my chest and I remember looking down and looking at her and she was still that you know newborn purple Mm. color and I looked at her and I saw her take her first breath and her skin start to turn pink and it was just the most incredible thing to witness. And I just whispered to her, oh, it's been you in there. And then oh. one little squawk and did the little uh, newborn crawl up to my breast. Yeah. And, and so that was, for me at that time, that was perfection, you know, having yeah. unmedicated, no tears for my, and having laboured at home for so long. Mm. I was really, really pleased with that experience. I mean, for any kind of birth, that sounds incredible. (laughs) It does sound pretty good. And, yeah, it would be interesting to hear how different your second birth was, even though you did have to go to hospital. I know even in myself I was like, wow, I would have loved that as a first birth. That would have been amazing. (laughs) Yes, yeah. And it it totally was. And it was a birth that I needed at the time. Mm to learn the lessons that I needed to learn about the world and about becoming a mother. And that's something that I believe to be true very, very often that we often get the birth that offers us the opportunity to learn about ourselves. Yes. I really believe that as well. It's really hard to accept at the Well, maybe not always for me, it was very hard to accept at the time. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, of course. Of course. And often, you know, the fact of the matter is we don't have the right support around us to actually hold mm. us through the experience and guide us yeah. and make sure that we are able to create meaning because that's really what it is, isn't it? It's making meaning from our experiences, which in the realm of birth are so often traumatic. Yes, yes. Or it's 
pushed to the side, isn't it? You've yeah. got your healthy baby. What else is there? There's not that space that's held for that experience and the context to be applied and the meaning. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So, yeah, there was no – I had no negative feelings um, about the birth experience at the time. But in saying that, I also didn't accept – the experience's invitation into that deeper space of knowing and evolution within myself. But now I'm able to call on that and to learn from it. Now that I have the resources and I have the support network and the education around it, which is a massive privilege, as we know. But yeah, looking back in dif- with different eyes um, has been interesting as well. So the birth of my son, my daughter's uh, dad and I separated when my daughter was almost three. So we're still best of friends. You know, we co-parent beautifully. He's one of my best friends. We go on holidays together. You know, we're very connected. You're still family. Family, absolutely. Totally, 100%. Uh, And then I had a, it's quite a, I won't get into the relationship. Um, Far more complex and, and layered and you know, but someone that I love very, very, very deeply, we fell pregnant and it was almost like beyond my control. I was literally crying for a baby. I I didn't feel ready to have a baby. I didn't, I knew we weren't in the sort of, you know, the quote unquote best position to have a baby as two people and uh, in our personal lives. But it was just this like ferocious message and call. And yeah, I realize now that, that it was my son. He was mm. he was ready before we were ready. And so I fell pregnant. And I was very, very unwell for three months, really purging a lot and just completely fatigued you know, days and days not being able to actually get up or if I had to go to the store, you know, vomiting in the car or just, oh, oh, yeah, it was was brutal. And I didn't have that. I never threw up with Alia and, I, you know, every pregnancy is different, but I really feel that that was a big purge for me and a really big time of purification in my body and spiritually in order to be able to fully lean into the pregnancy and fully experience what I needed to experience and was going to experience through his birth. So it's all divine and perfect in hindsight, not when you're in it. (laughs) Not in the moment on the drive to the shops. (laughs) Exactly. And yeah, so after three months, you know, it flew by. We had really, really quick but beautiful rest of the pregnancy. A lot of time spent out in the mountains, spent in nature, eating Mm. all the delicious things and really trying to be slow and really leaning into the process and the journey and opening myself to the spiritual aspect of what was happening and actually trusting that, you know, this baby has a plan and we have, you know, are just part of that plan. And it really invited me into that space of surrender. Yeah. And, and realizing it's not, everything is not just as it seems. Everything is not just what we can see and feel, you know, that these babies are actually, you know, spiritual beings themselves and that they have um, a desire to come through into this physical manifestation. And that was just completely what he taught me through that process. And so we decided to, it was almost unspoken. I was like, we're having a home birth. And Nick said, mm. cool, of course. And so we connected with a local midwife who I hired privately and she offered a payment plan. So most private midwives do offer a payment plan that you can pay off over quite a period of time. So best investment. Sorry, Amy, do you continue to pay it off after the birth, um, just out of curiosity, or it's paid by the time um, you go into into have your birth? So most private midwives will um, ask for it to be paid around six weeks postpartum. 
So you can pay it off throughout the whole pregnancy and then up to six weeks. But I know um, people who have been on a payment plan for like three years who've been in financial hardship or, you know, have had a really traumatic birth um, in hospital and go to the midwife and explain their situation and they'll organise an extended payment plan. So there's definitely options. It's still, I mean... It is the investment, not saying it's not worth it, but yeah, it makes you think here how lucky we are that we can have greater access. Totally, totally. Because even on a payment plan, it's still inaccessible to so many people and it is still a privilege and midwives are still completely limited with their resources and capacity in this country. So, you know, it's definitely not as simple as just jump on a payment plan. There's so many other yeah. <laughs> It's not so, like lay buying your birth. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, we know how uh, inequality uh, impacts the yeah. way that we are able to to, to birth. So, yeah, I, I obviously had the privilege to engage with my midwife and she was amazing. She's actually become my mentor now in my own birth work journey. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, and she's a wonderful woman and friend and, yeah, lover, Melanie Jackson. And when I started to approach birth and I could feel that that's what was happening, I started to feel like I didn't – it's hard to explain because it wasn't a, a sort of cognitive thought, but just now I, I can see there was a sense of aloneness, of wanting to do it alone. And so a feeling, not necessarily even a thought, a feeling. Does that sound more like what it was? Totally. And I woke up at 3 a.m. and my daughter was actually sleeping in my room with me. It was like an alarm had gone off. It's time to have a baby. I'm going to be born now. And I sort of sat up in bed and then thought, okay. And I just laid back down in the darkness and we just communicated, communicated with Zevin and just let him know it's time. I hear you and everything's going to be okay. You don't need to be scared. We're doing this together. I'm not scared. Let's, let's do this. And I just lay in bed by myself for two hours and just touched myself and rubbed myself and really wanted to get the oxytocin flowing until it sort of became pretty intense and I went out. Um, Nick was actually sleeping by the fire in the lounge room because he had a headache and I went out and said, Nick, I think, you know, it's time. Like I'm, and he said, oh, no, just try to go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't work like to- that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went back into the bedroom for a little bit and I knew he was had been quite ill actually so – I wanted him to have as much rest as he could. I'm thinking, you know, how long it could be a whole day that we're yeah. in labor. And then it became so intense. I didn't want to wake my daughter up. So I went, moved out by the fire in the lounge room and we had to have a little table um, just by the fire. And I was sort of on my knees and leaning over with my arms on the table and just rocking. And I could feel how quickly things were happening and so I said, you better set up the pool. Um, and he went and started setting up the pool and he made the space beautiful. You know, we had the oil diffuser and we had fairy lights. And he and Nick just sort of went and set up the pool and did all the, the backstage type things that are required in home birth by the support person. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, you know, none the wiser. It's all just becoming beautiful and happening around me. So that, that was cool. Yeah. And then I moved up onto the lounge um, and was on all fours. And our place is, so my house has big glass windows in the lounge room that sort of look straight out into the bush, sunrise. Could you ask for a better place to birth? (laughs) So good, honestly. I, I looked out the window and I could just see the beginning of the sunrise, like just the redness of the sun before it's fully open up. And for those who haven't ever lived in Australia, there's like all the birds in the morning and I don't know, it's such a magical time back home, like the mornings in the bush. It's really magical. I could just, oh, I'm like, yeah. I, w- I want to have a baby then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll come have a baby in your lounge room. <laughs> 
Yeah, so it was that really magical sort of pre-dawn time. But I fast-forwarded a little bit because there was a moment where Nick said, should we message Melanie? And I said, oh, just message her but tell her everything's fine. I'm like, she has kids. She's got two kids as well. I'm like, let her sleep. <laughs> I was like, I think we can just let her know that, you know, you're it's happening and we'll just keep her in the loop. I said, cool. And so he texted her. And she had you communicated to her that you might want to birth without her? No. Or no. not at this point, no. Not at this point. Not until it happened, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not until we had the baby in our arms. <laughs> So then she said, okay, cool. Just let me know. You know, it sounds like it's happening pretty quick. So you let me know when you want me to come. And yeah, then I, so fast forward, I'm sort of on all fours. Melanie hasn't come. We haven't asked her to come. And Nick was running back and forward, trying to fill the bloody pool. (laughs) And I'm then, he'd go into like, do something in the kitchen. I'd be like, Nick, because they were just so back to back. Like the surges were so back to back and I needed to be on his flesh. Like I needed to feel I was naked and he had no shirt on. And the feeling of being pressed against his chest was like so soothing. I just wanted it constantly when I was surging. Grounding. So grounding. And also the oxytocin, I feel, Mm. that being naked against someone you love you know, and that sort of helping with the pain. And yeah, he gave me a massage with these beautiful oils that we'd been gifted. And then he left the room and my daughter came in. She said, oh, I thought you were having a nightmare, mummy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having a baby. (laughs) And she came over and was, you know, massaging me and saying beautiful things, telling me what a good job Mm. I was doing. And then she said, can I watch Harry Potter? And so she went <laughs> to the bedroom and watched Harry Potter for a little bit. Um, you know, so normal. Like, birth yeah. So normal. What an amazing way to grow up just understanding birth. Like, it's just normal. It's something that happens. It's not a medicalized event or anything. It's like, oh, yeah, mommy's just having a baby. <laughs> so cute and I'm, I'm just so grateful for that. Amy also did you have I know a lot of other parents have talked about a moment when they have their second child where they I guess grieve for their first child and I guess it sounds like there was a bit of a gap between your two I don't know did you have that feeling come over you during your birth that you had to work through? I didn't actually I, I feel because there was such a gap And it had been because I'd been a single mother for quite some time. So it's been Elia and I. And she really got that strong foundation of just me undivided all the Mm. time. So I didn't, I did have a little bit of melancholy, you know, when I thought about it in pregnancy, towards the end of pregnancy, thinking like, whoa, like that's sort of like closing that chapter of like Elia and Amy you know, of just us, there's going to be this other being that is joining us. But, you know, interestingly, Elia has revealed to me that she thinks Zevin and and her were actually connected before they were born. And so they... Oh, I've got goosebumps. Wow. Yeah, remember, she told me the story of leaving him as light and being born but telling him that she would see him soon and then coming through several years later so you know whether it's an actual memory that she has or a story she's come up with either way it um it soothed me a lot yeah she was holding this space and waiting for him <laughs> yeah yeah I know a bloody kid mate they're so <laughs> goddamn <laughs> <laughs> they get you <laughs> um yeah and so where was I up to so I'm on the couch and Elia had gone Elia's to, just gone to watch Harry Potter. Yeah, Nick was in the kitchen doing something and I thought I'm going to get in the pool and I went to stand in the pool but the water was too hot and so I got out um, <laughs> and was on the couch again. I'm like, the water's too hot. <laughs> the hose back in and then I have this huge crystal and he tried to, the hose, apparently I didn't know any of this, like 
what a man holding such space that there was so much going on and I had no idea. You know, the yeah. whole started to fly out of the water and spray oh. around the room. <laughs> And so he got my huge crystal and like weighed it down with the crystal. Um, (laughs) I didn't tell me any of this was going on. So I was by myself in the room and I just had this thought of literally once I can't do it. And then I sat up and said out loud, I can fucking do it. And I was on all fours and like reared up. It was almost like this surge of, a, like power and adrenaline um, that let, like pushed me up off all fours and onto my knees and I kind of spun around and his head came out. And wow. prior to that I'd sort of put my fingers inside myself to check myself and I could feel his head was right there. And so when I le- reared up, his head put came out um, and I yelled out, his head's out, and Elia and Nick came running in and Elia was sort of standing in front of me and Nick was kneeling next to me and Elia's face, it was just the most incredible, uh, I don't think any doula in the world could have done better than she did in that moment mm-hmm. see her face like that and so supportive and Nick kneeling next to me and I didn't have to push him out. He just sort of, what I know <laughs> now is fetal ejection. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the ejection reflex. <laughs> he flew out and flew into Nick's arms and he held him for a second and then passed him straight to me. And he started crying, gave a little cry and then sort of just nestled in and that was it. He was born and 20 minutes later my midwife arrived. <laughs> and I She's like, oh, hi. <laughs> yeah, and she just came in screaming and you know, because little did I know Nick had messaged her as his head had come out and said, he's coming. And and then the next message, like two minutes later was, he's here. <laughs> <laughs> and so she rocked up and, you know, that, that was really beautiful. Like I totally get people free birthing and, and, and why so many more people are wanting to, to connect back with that. But the postpartum care that you get from a midwife and the fact that Melanie came over and Emma, my second midwife and just got emptied the pool and potted around and did all of that was so beautiful and sort of supporting me through the birth of the placenta and checking the placenta. And we helped you to just enjoy the experience. Totally. Totally. We could just be with it. And yeah, we left Zevin attached to his placenta for about two hours. Oh, wow. That's incredible. And then, yeah, so that was something that I really wanted to do culturally for me as a Maori woman. That's part of our traditional care. So now, you know, science backs that and it's best best practice to leave the baby attached and they say for a couple of minutes. But for me, I feel it's until the cord has completely stopped pumping and it's really nice and cold and white. Mm. Um, I was going to ask what colour was it? And like your placenta, I guess, wouldn't have been so red maybe. I don't know. I imagine in my mind it, when it gets rid of all that blood, it must start looking blue and, yeah, wow, that's awesome. Two hours. Yeah, that, it was It was um really epic to see the cord changing and, to realize that it was completely white and just that sense of reconnection um, that so many of us, so many of us are brutally cut from our umbilical cords. And so for me, that was very healing ancestrally as well for sort of all the, the wahine, the women in my line who weren't able to do that and haven't been able to do that with their mm. baby. And so we kept his placenta after we cut it as a family and we ended up planting it in uh, under a lemon tree, which um, culturally that is something that we would do, um, but it would be on our ancestral land. So we would plant the uh, whenua. So the word for placenta is whenua in Māori, which is also the word for land because the placenta is our first mm. land. It's our first home. So, yeah, oh, that was beautiful healing experience and then it was sort of just like oh you're here and you've always been here and cool (laughs) (laughs) 
and life begins again. Life begins again. But, yeah, there was no, like, having to transition. It's just that sense of, like, familiarity and that he'd always been here and kind of cruised into postpartum. And I did sacred postpartum, so I didn't leave the house for 30 days and I didn't really get out of bed for 30 days. So I just laid and we had a meal train and so people would deliver food. Nick did a lot of cooking and he did basically all of the house stuff, you know, taking Ellie to school. We homeschool now, but she was going to school at that time. Um, So doing all the school drop-offs and epic community around us. So we were really helpful in that time. And that for me was when I started to realise the unravelling of my first birth and how unsupported I was and how I didn't have the tools to fully have a strong foundation during postpartum and then into the rest of my life. And to begin that motherhood journey. Right. And this time it sounds like you were able to just, in like a supported way, like we're able to collapse into motherhood, like it just happened organically, whereas it sounds like before you were talking about holding on to that maiden archetype, this birth changed all of that for you. Absolutely, totally. It was, I love that, how you describe that, just sort of collapse into this new chapter. And it was almost like it was pre ordained you know that was Mm. all was meant to unfold this way and that's the power of birth when we have the capacity and the will to to look at it as such that we are harnessing these these lessons and able to learn and grow so rapidly when we have the right support and I realized that was a big key so Zevin's birth for me was a massive key in in my own decolonization and healing process. So being able to weave my culture through his birth and being able to Mm. birth fully in my sovereignty without being touched by another person, without another person entering me or without all the things that are standard care in, in the Australian maternal system, I didn't have any of that. And so for me that was a massive reclamation of my autonomy and my sovereignty and has been, you know, fundamental to the work that I do now. It completely shifted the direction of my work, completely changed, you know, so much of who I am as a person and the woman that I am now. I feel like for the first time in my adult life, I am a woman and I'm not a girl. So it was really fucking powerful. I think too, almost, I don't know, because your first birth experience is almost like an ultimate version of birth within the hospital landscape but then how it pales in comparison to this cultural experience and the sovereignty you were able to embed within your birth experience um I feel like that's really powerful in itself as well right exactly and you know knowing what I know now and having experienced what I've experienced now I I realize how actually trauma is pretty much part of policy in um, standard maternity care in that Mm -hmm. um, so much of what is happening within maternity care that we aren't necessarily being traumatized, quote unquote, by is unnecessary and actually is causing like trauma harm and trauma. And, and disruption to the birth process, perhaps? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as you know, it's completely not conducive to the unfolding of birth. It's basically the opposite of what we need to, for, for birth to unfold optimally. So I'm so grateful for that experience. And I couldn't, I'm so grateful that I didn't experience more trauma and that my daughter didn't experience trauma through, mm. that, through that experience. Yeah, for her, I mean, her outlook on birth is going to be so, like, unencumbered. Like, she just, she's going to know it in a completely different way to so many of her peers. <laughs> It'll yeah. be incredible if she ever becomes a parent herself. I know, it's, it's pretty pretty amazing. It's an awesome gift to give. She says, oh, when we're looking at birth photos um, she loves watching birth videos and so if we're scrolling and see on a birth page and see there's a baby in hospital she goes oh 
that baby's in hospital. Why is that baby? <laughs> Why? And I'm like, well, most people, you were born in hospital. But, <laughs> 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 you know, for, all she can cognitively remember is yeah. and has to draw on in her own experience is, is Zevin's birth. That's amazing. And it propelled you then to do the work that you do now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So prior to having Zevin, I, my business, The Stoned Chrysalis, was actually a, I sold sex toys, so crystal sex toys and intimacy products. And that was something I was super passionate about, sexuality and intimacy and self-pleasure. And then while I was running that business, I was studying. So I've uh, I'm a qualified counsellor and I've done sort of diploma in community services work. And then I was taking on this double diploma in um, transpersonal counselling and art therapy while I was mm. pregnant. Um, so I started that. And, you know, looking back now, I'm like, fuck, so many, so much divine timing that I had no, I was just like following the threads, you know, like intuition of, yeah. oh, this sounds like I was doing psych. And I was getting so disenchanted by the sort of colonial, colonized approach to healing and psychotherapy that I found this other course called Transpersonal Counseling and Art Therapy. Um, and I just quit. I just dropped out of uni and I jumped into this course when I was six weeks pregnant. So I was traveling down, traveling down to Sydney while totally ill and becoming more and more pregnant and like sleeping in my van because I live in the mountains and but just knew that this is what I was supposed to be doing so by the time Zevon was when Zevon was born I just was like it was so life-altering to me to see an experience birth in this way and to feel the difference in myself as somebody who birthed in my sovereignty and from a decolonized, you know, cultural perspective. Yeah. Just how interrelated everything is, you know, this sex birth is sexual. And um, I was going to say your birth sounded so I wasn't going to say sexual. I was going to say sensual, um, but I guess they are linked closely together and that power that yeah, often isn't talked about in relation to birth. Absolutely. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, birth is, I mean, it is sexual. It's completely, and it is sensual. It's interrelated where we need the same hormones to unfold in in birth as we do in order to orgasm, just how it is. You know, it's not, it's not like (laughs) a, a concept, it's fact. We need the oxytocin and we need to open and we need to be vulnerable and you know, all, all, all the juicy stuff. So yeah. I realized that even the business for me and having been so immersed in the world of sexuality and pleasure, that is and self-discovery. Absolutely. Yeah. It is part of what I do now, you know, birth work and supporting women and birthing people to explore that before having birth and actually acknowledging that birth is a a part of our sexuality it's it's part of our erotic life I think it's a game changer to talk of birth as an extension of that experience because it's just not something that we link together and it almost I don't know I think probably some people listening it might be a bit too much (laughs) it's just it's it's reclaiming that space and the language and highlighting those connections that are like you said I mean it's it's fact it's evident that these are the things we're talking about but yeah I think to be able to do that in the lead up to birth would be amazing rather than retrospectively and you mentioned as well like transpersonal what for those who don't know what that is would you mind unpacking that a little bit as well because that's I guess the crux of your birth mentoring mentorship I don't know companionship yeah yeah so transpersonal means to go beyond the ego so to go beyond what we consciously know and the ideas we consciously have about ourselves and explore the unconscious realms so what lies beneath the surface basically so the transpersonal philosophy values the spiritual experience and the spiritual self as highly as the physical emotional and mental selves and that the spiritual is as important as any of those to our health and how we experience the world 
So in the context of birth, you know, I work with people who aren't birthing and just through general life stuff. But in the context of birth, we really look at how life experiences and unconscious experiences and beliefs about ourselves and about the world could influence birth. And we look at life as birth preparation. So tracking our Mm. lives um, and our own rites of passage and how they have impacted us and the stories that we've internalized and how that could play out in birth. And sexuality is a big one. So how our first sexual experiences, how our beliefs about our bodies and about um, our you know, about orgasm and our right to orgasm and how we open and all of the stuff, how the dynamics that play out in our intimate relationships, how that could influence how we experience birth. Oh, I'm like, if I get pregnant again, I'll be calling you one because I need your lounge room. <laughs> but also because I'm going to have to unpack some stuff with you. I would love that. It sounds amazing. And I think, like you said before, it's sort of the birth that you need it sounds like you wouldn't have been able to do this work without having that experience of birthing seven absolutely I it's just blown my world totally apart to in the best way and I honestly believe like on a personal level that birth it permeates everything in this society the way that we are born permeates everything we can see how much trauma is in this world, how traumatised the people in power are, how disconnected we are from our sovereignty, from our spirit, from source, from the land, from each other. All of this is, it plays out in birth. And when generation upon generation of baby is being born into the world in a violent way and their first breath is saturated in violence and disconnection, how can we expect the world to be any different? You know, it's we heal birth, we heal the earth. I really believe that. Yeah, it's amazing. You've given me so many things to think about. I mean, I'm at the start of my like yeah. birth keeping journey. And yeah, it's just I'm looking forward to learning not just about the physiology of birth, but all that birth encompasses. Um, so thank you you're already an incredible teacher (laughs) thank you that means a lot I really appreciate that I'm excited for you to be on the on the precipice of that journey what an epic journey to be on especially with your experiences and your your wisdom you're going to be an absolute gift I hope so I think too it's interesting like I just did some more training last week and it was it was again divine timing to come and talk to you but they were talking so much about creating the optimal environment and how we have become socialized mm. through birth. So, I mean, we there was a time when we would birth alone. Um, and I thought when you're talking about like reconnecting with your ancestors and mm. um, your culture, I thought there's, there is something about that. And it's hard because, I mean, free birth isn't something that people are very comfortable with even those who who know a lot about birth I mean it's not something people feel comfortable to advocate for and I think everyone's journey is going to be different but I took a lot away just about the simplicity of the physiology of birth that our bodies if you have the right settings can often just tap into this but it's interesting to think of all the different layers we go through in the process Um, it's going to be an endless journey of discovery (laughs) it's going to be huge and that's sort of something that I look at with my clients as well you know we can actually be in an optimal environment but if we haven't worked through our own shit if we haven't Mm. worked through actually our own internal environment and our spiritual environment um, and emotional environment birth can still be impacted you know we can still run into obstacles and and experience trauma it's like that dance between all of it between the uh, the outer environment and the inner environment as well so many layers so many layers so many layers (laughs) as well isn't it because you sort of you think about sorting your shit out after you have the baby but actually to do that before would open so many doors 
to birthing and parenting. Um, right yeah, maybe we should all try and sort our shit out before we have babies. <laughs> that's my plan. I want to support, you know, that's, that's the ideal is, is to work with people preconception. And that yeah. really, really fucking, you know, healing, healing the next generations, healing the previous generations, like healing the earth, um, changing the systems. Yeah, powerful. And also to have the time is because I feel like during pregnancy, it, it's a strange time sort of moves in this weird, so fast, so slow sort of yes. pattern. But actually to be able to get into that long before you're in that weird sort of zone would be perfect (laughs) totally and that's you know when we talk about life being birth preparation like we're preparing for Mm. birth and our understanding of birth is beginning from our own birth yeah even if we do no preparation we've been preparing our whole lives but that it can be completely the the wrong kind of preparation you know that's actually harmful and detrimental to us so I mean, and our, our, the society that the societies we live in and the mainstream narratives around birth are um, conditioning us and, and sort of mm. telling us these really horrific stories and showing us these really horrific images of what birth is supposed to be like. And we see that mirrored in what's actually happening. That's an interesting way to think of it because I always thought that I hadn't really done any learning until I was pregnant about Mm. my body and birth but actually you're right like my whole life you do you're absorbing you're learning it just wasn't the right stuff (laughs) it was Um, toxic stuff yeah yeah and I mean we as uh, menstruating people and women that's a big one as well like the first lessons we start to learn about our body and how the world around us thinks about our body is through menstruation Mm. often that's shrouded in shame and disgust just you know even our sexuality like what you said earlier about it could be too much for for some people listening to hear about birth as a sexual experience I mean that's telling in itself that even and sexuality have become these sort of shameful things that we keep quiet so the clues are all there you know we just gotta we just gotta excavate it and have the support to do that well thank you so much amy you've planted lots of seed for thought and reflection (laughs) Um, i've really enjoyed getting to listen and oh well i can't wait to watch your journey unfold how beautiful thank you and amy for people who haven't already connected with you how are they going to find you on instagram is that the best place yeah, so I'm I'm on there. So it's at Rip Snorter, R-I-P-S-N-O-R-T-E-R. I tend to be on there less and less, really trying to curate my time on there. So it's very minimal. But I also have a website, thestonedchrysalis.com. So yeah, hit me up. That might be, yeah, that's the place. <laughs> uh, well, have yourself an amazing day. Thanks. Yeah, nighttime over here in merry old London. But have yourself a wonderful day, and thank you so much. Thanks so much. It's been for really fun talking to you. Really appreciate it. Have a beautiful sleep. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Come connect with me on Instagram with the handle born underscore underscore together. I'd love to hear from you. And please do share, subscribe, and rate the podcast to help it get out to a wider audience. I'd love if you could. Until next week, bye.